Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. Oh my goodness, we are so thankful that we live in the United States of America. We just celebrated Veterans Day, and it is not by accident that we are a great nation. And so I just want to say a shout out to all veterans. If you have served, um, I ask that you be blessed this day in such a mighty way. We recognize you. So I'm going to try and go through Acts 23 and 24. <laughs> Some pastors, they just take one little sentence and then they expound on that one sentence. Not me, I just want a big portion. So I'm going to try Acts 23 and 24. And um, maybe I've been off more than I can chew, and you'll find out, won't you? So a little boy, a priest, a lawyer, and a doctor went up one Sunday in a plane, a private plane. They were just having a good time up there. And suddenly the engine started to putter and sputter. The engine went out. And the plane started going down. Everyone panicked as the pilot put on his parachute and jumped from the plane, leaving the others behind. Everyone panicked. But the little boy found a stack of three parachutes, and for a moment there was relief on everyone's faces. And then they realized that they were short one parachute. The doctor grabbed one of the packs and he said, I'm a doctor, I save lives, I'm way too important to die today. And he took a, pa a parachute and he jumped out the door. <laughs> and so there were three left and with just two parachutes. The little boy held the two parachutes to his chest, wondering what the priest and the lawyer were going to decide. <laughs> the lawyer, lawyer took matters in his own hands and grabbed one of the packs off the boy's lap and said, I am the smartest person I know. I can't afford to die and leave dumb people to their own devices. <laughs> Once the lawyer was out of the plane, the priest started insisting that the little boy put the last parachute on because he had a longer life to live. <clears throat> but the boy stopped him and said, Father, there are still two parachutes left because the smartest person on the plane just jumped out with my backpack. <laughs> oh my, trouble. <laughs> Have you ever been in trouble? Oh, all right, this message is for you. <coughs> Maybe not jumping out of a plane with just a backpack, but something memorable, you know, and I'm sure in your mind right now, man, you're dialing up, you know, all your memories. You're sorting through your files to bring up a picture and a place, the sounds, and what became of that incident. Or many incidences for some of us. You can still hear the accusations. What did you do? Or the ridicule. Why would a smart person like you do something dumb like that? All right? And then there's the punishment. 
we're not going to go there. If we were wise, we would learn from our mistakes and not have a repeat performance ever. But our friend Paul, and we love Paul, he has taught us many, 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 many things, even thus far, and we've still had the whole New Testament to go. He was constantly having repetitive experiences while he was going from province to province preaching the word of God. He says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now compelled by the Spirit, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen there, Paul was being pressed onward by the Holy Spirit to go wherever God had assigned his next destination. And he was obedient and went with an absolutely clear and clean conscience wherever the Lord led him. Now, usually wherever Paul went, a riot <laughs> came up, uh, violence, uh, protests, rebellion, all this trouble for the Roman soldiers. <clears throat> and usually it was the Sadducees and the Pharisees who started the fight. But then the Romans had to come in and break it up, and somebody was going to jail. As Steve pointed out last week, Paul is once again taken into custody and bound in chains and, the, and between two guards, and he was ordered to be flogged. And he was about to be flogged when, when Paul asked a very important question. Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen? No, it was not legal. Now the commander and all the soldiers were so afraid of Paul and what they were almost about to do, that they put him into, uh, took him back to the barracks so that he could be protected from the mob that was just going to tear him apart. And I am, I am so uh, encouraged and I admire Paul's bravery before those who would harm him and falsely accuse him. Even though Paul was not physically free, he was in chains. He was entirely free in his soul and in his spirit, and he kept his focus on his task, which was to preach the gospel. God's word cannot be chained. No matter what we're going through, you cannot stop the word of God and its power to change everything in your life. So I'm gonna read uh, Acts 22:30 and Acts 23, one through nine. The next day, since the commander, now they're in Jerusalem at the time, the next day the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. He released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin. Now a Sanhedrin, I learned, was the, the ruling government right there. It was um, consisted of 71 rabbis that was your greater sanhedrin and then they had a lower the the lesser sanhedrin it's called which had 23 um, rabbis and they made all the judgments in all the large cities around and so uh, was and all the sanhedrin to assemble and then he brought paul and had him stand before them paul looked straight at the sanhedrin and he said my brothers, I have filled my duty to God in all good conscience till this day. At, 
At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. And those who were standing near Paul said, You dare to insult God's most high priest? And Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that... I didn't recognize him. I didn't realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. And I thought, why didn't Paul recognize this man as the high priest? Because he didn't look like one. He didn't act like one. He didn't dress like one. For whatever reason. So then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out to, in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection from the dead. And when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Another rebellion. Another riot. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees, of which Paul was one, remember, they acknowledge all of them, everything, anything spiritual. The Pharisees wanted more of that. So there was a great uproar in that courtroom or at the Sanhedrin. So there was a great uproar and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously we find nothing wrong with this man. Well, Paul appeared before the Sanhedrin and they heard the court cases and the decisions were final. And that's where Paul found himself in Jerusalem. Jesus faced his own trial in Jerusalem before the chief priests and rulers of the people. In Luke 23, 13 recounts what Pilate told them. Pilate called together the chief priests and rulers of the people and said to them, you brought this man to me as one who was inciting public rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he has sent him back to us. And as you can see, he, Jesus, has done nothing to deserve death. <clears throat> Well, in spite of his innocence, Jesus was crucified in order to appease the Jews who were rioting and, <clears throat> and screaming for his crucifixion. That was an earthly perspective. But from a kingdom perspective, it was the, to finish the work that God had sent him to earth for, to seek and save the lost and to give them eternal life and resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> it was so... I want to say the word ludicrous. Now, why that comes up, I don't know. But he was the anointed one. Jesus was the anointed one. He was the righteous judge standing before puny mankind to be judged by them. When James 4 says, For there is only one capital L lawgiver and only one capital J judge, it was Jesus. Hebrews 10, 13 says, The Lord will judge his people. And Acts 17, 31, it says that God commands all people to repent. For he has set a day 
when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. So here's my favorite part of this story. <clears throat> Acts 23, 11. Paul was about to be torn to, apart by the rioters, and the soldiers took him back to the barracks. <clears throat> the following night, the Lord stood near, stood beside Paul, telling him, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, now you must go and testify about me in Rome. That part where God stood near, he stood right beside Paul, right there while he was in chains, encouraging him. And it impressed upon me that God is so loving, so loving. He knows what we're going through and he stands beside us. He walks with us through the water. He walks with us through the fire. He never takes his eyes off of us. Nothing escapes his watchful care for his kids. He upholds us in our weaknesses. He encourages us when we'd rather give in to fear and doubt. And he leads us on the way to himself. Paul knew that whatever the Jews and Romans had planned, God had a bigger, bigger plan for him, and it would be accomplished in Rome. And to get there, Paul would endure many troubles. People accused him of lies, and there were conspiracies to kill Paul. There were plots to ambush him in order to kill him. There were plans by the commander to save Paul by putting him on a horse, going many, many miles with a troop of 200 uh, of his best soldiers, 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to take Paul to Caesarea. Another trial before Felix the governor and a lawyer named Tertullus. Corruption and bribery amongst the legal representatives was rampant. So what is the difference between a good lawyer and an excellent lawyer? A good lawyer knows the law well, but an excellent lawyer knows the judge well. <laughs> Paul knew his ultimate judge very well and could therefore speak with confidence and security for his own defense. One reoccurring sentence we hear Paul saying is this, in 23.6 it says, I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection from the dead. That was their dispute over that one sentence. 24.21 it says, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am being, that I am on trial before you today. So now Paul is in Caesarea and he's still in jail, and he has to stay there for two years. But the one nice thing about that is he's now in um, the governor's palace there. And he's allowed to have friends come and serve him, bring him the things he needs. He's allowed to have visitors. And so uh, two years seems like a long time, right? It would be for us to be in prison and not, not have the freedom to go places. But he knew he was on his way to where God had, was 
uh, has, was sending him and to an end he did not know anything about. Well, <clears throat> let me read Acts 11. Here we go. So I'm glad to make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone in the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way. <clears throat> Excuse me, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written by, in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked, the just and the unjust. So strive always. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Boy, is that wisdom for us. Keep your conscience clear before God and man. So I want to share a little snapshot with you of my trouble once upon a time. It, had, it started April of 1995. I have only, I have only had one courtroom uh, experience that was not my own choosing. It was at the sentencing hearing of the woman who killed my husband. And I met her face to face that day. I'd never seen her before. I had thought about her a lot, but I had never seen her before. I know, now looking back, that I was still in shock from losing him. And so everything, you know, was just swirling around me. I was just kind of weaving through all these things that were happening around me. <clears throat> So at this hearing, I was allowed to make a victim statement where I could tell my feelings and describe my husband's life, his faith in God, and what his loss was going to mean to me and my daughter and my son. My daughter was only nine years old when her daddy was taken from her. So I pleaded with the court to give her whatever maximum sentence seemed fair. It was an ominous experience to be in that courtroom with the judge who was going to hand down a sentence that would change her life. And to be in the same room with the woman who carelessly, beyond carelessly, took a, a wonderful man's life. I had to trust in our judicial system to hold her accountable for starting out in the morning with two small children. I think there was a five-year-old and a three-year-old that she placed them in the back seat of her car and they were to tend to themselves for that whole day while she stopped at every bar that was in her, her way until the point where she was so impaired that she couldn't see my husband who was riding his bicycle on the side of the road. Her defense to the judge was, I didn't see him. And Roy was killed instantly. And she, the judge, handed her two years of probation. That almost killed me because I trusted 
that judge to handle this case what I thought was fair. See, I was playing judge too. And justice can go so wrong from our perspective here on earth. But there is a righteous judge who judges fairly. And we will all appear before him, both the righteous and the evil, just and the unjust. And I knew that if I let what I thought was a lack of, of justice and unforgiveness boil inside of me, I knew that it was going to eat me from the inside out. So I also knew that the right thing to do was pray for her salvation and to forgive. And so in 2009, I got a phone call from an officer in that city saying that she had been saved. She was serving in her church. And she um, went through rehab, so she was clean and sober. And now, with my permission, she wanted to go into jail and minister to those who were imprisoned. I could have said, are you nuts? No way. Do you know what she did to me? But that's, that would not bring God honor, would it? That would have been me still judging, not forgiving. I could have said that, but that brings no good to anyone. So I said, yes, by all means let her go but first i want you to check and see that she's on the level not that i didn't trust her but i wanted her not to do harm to anyone else whether it be ministering to them or i wanted her to have a, a clean covering of god before she went and did any ministry in the jails and so i left it up to him to take care of that but I gave her that permission. So I was so happy, 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 happy to hear that she was saved, really, all those years of praying for that woman. Now, she may not have seen Roy the day she hit him, but she's going to see him face to face one day because I know for sure that that's where my husband is. He is in heaven because he gave his heart to Jesus many, many years ago. And I'm going to see both of them, and we're all going to be exalting the Lord and claiming holy, holy, holy with the angels. It's going to be a wonderful reunion with my husband and even with her. So let me finish this by reading Titus 2, 3, 2 through 7. At one time, we too were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope 
of eternal life. And that hope, the hope of eternal life through resurrection, that's the anchor of our souls. It's what keeps us strong and maintains that hope in our hearts that we will see Jesus face to face. And I'm so glad that you're all going to be there with me. So thank you, Lord, for your miraculous works. I, I stand in awe of you, Lord. I, I truly do, that you are so full of mercy and grace. Nothing down here is out of your control because you are the sovereign Lord. You are so good to us. And nothing, nothing is out of your sight or your hand. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.